If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Acts chapter 15. And let's pray. Lord, we, we pray, Holy Spirit, we pray that we would encounter you this morning. We, we pray that you would do something inside of each of us. We, we pray that we would be stirred and encouraged by your Spirit. Lord, we want to be different when we encounter you through your word. So Lord, would you do that this morning? We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Raise your hand real high if you like conflict and disagreement. If you just love it. All right, Jeff, good. I thought you would. Okay, we got a couple. We got some usual suspects uh, that like conflict and disagreement. My guess is... (laughs) I do have a problem with that. No, I'm just playing. No, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think conflict, when you think of conflict, I, I was thinking of animals. So, so probably in this room, you probably relate in different ways. So if you like conflict, like Jeff over here likes conflict, he's like a, a, a great white shark. He's going to go in towards conflict. He's going to attack. Some of you are more like turtles. You retreat and you disappear. Some of you are like deer that you just, just run away. You know, not, not your thing. Some of you are like groundhogs. You stick your head out for a while. Oh, I don't like what I see. And you go down in. Well, who thinks, show of hands, conflict and disagreement is always harmful? Always. That's a key word. So nobody. Who thinks it can be healthy at times, conflict and disagreement? Even if we don't like it, it can be very healthy. I'm going to tell you something you already know, that if you are going to live in this world and have any relationships with any human beings, whether that's in a family, in your neighborhood, on a sports team, in your workplace, you're going to have conflict. Guarantee it. The only way to avoid conflict is to be by yourself. And then you probably have conflicts in your mind. It's part of life. It's part of living in a broken world. And the Lord loves to use conflict and redeem conflict to bring about positive change. This morning in Acts 15, we're going to see what really is probably the most significant debate and controversy of the early Christian church. Probably the church is somewhere about... 15-ish years old at this point, give or take a few years, in Acts 15, and controversy and conflict has been starting to center around one particular theme, and that theme is starting to escalate, and so Acts 15 is known as the Jerusalem Council. So the apostles and a lot of pastors and the, the church members of the church in Jerusalem all gather to solve this conflict, and it was conflict that led to clarity. And this chapter, chapter 15, really is a watershed moment in the New Testament and a watershed moment for Christianity as we know it. So I entitled this message, What's the Bottom Line? Because at the center of this controversy was a conflict between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And there was a debate if you had to become Jewish and then trust in Jesus. If you had to basically do the Jewish laws, particularly circumcision, and then trust in Jesus, and then you would be good to go. And there was a, there was a debate about that. 
And so I think Acts 15 can be summed up in answering the question, well, what's the bottom line? When it's all said and done, what is Christianity all about? What is it all about at the core? And who's it for? Who did Jesus come for? So the bottom line, the kind of the big idea, is that salvation is offered to all. That means everyone in the world as a free gift and must be shared with all. It's offered all. It's for everyone. Must be shared with everyone. But that doesn't mean everyone is right with God or everyone is saved because you have to come on Jesus' terms, which is faith and repentance, trust and turning from your old way of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get into that controversy. So look at Acts chapter 15. What's the bottom line? Here's the first idea. Conflict over beliefs, the Bible uses the word doctrine at times, should lead to increased clarity of our beliefs. So conflict over our beliefs should lead to increased clarity of our beliefs. So if you read a book or you see something online that creates a conflict over the Bible and biblical beliefs, what it should do for us as Christians is drive us deeper into this book, cause us to walk humbly and really study to know what the Bible teaches. So look at verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. These, these men were most likely known as Judaizers, and here's what they were teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So at the center of the controversy was basically, if you picture it like in a mathematical equation, their salvation equation, these men from Judea, were saying you had to to obey the Jewish customs, particularly circumcision, trust in Jesus, and then you were saved. If you trusted in Jesus and didn't do that, you were not saved. Well, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension. Sounds like a 1800s British movie. No small dissension and debate with them. In other words, Paul was lit up about this because Paul was a Jewish Pharisee. He knew the law. He was a rising star among Judaism, and he knew that none of his Judaism saved him. He knew before he trusted in Jesus Christ that he was dead in his sins, he was an object of God's wrath, that circumcision didn't make him right with God, that faith in Jesus and turning from all his trust in religious outward things was what he needed to turn from and trust in Jesus. And so the reason they were so concerned about this is because center to their lives and their calling was to tell the world all about Jesus Christ. And so they didn't want to mingle and mess up what is the message of salvation. Now we're going to see that this controversy is kind of popping up all over uh, where, where the Gentiles are getting saved. And so Paul and Barnabas see this as so important that they're going to pause going on their next missionary journey, which we're going to see next week and beyond, to really solve and settle this problem once for all. So the local church 
that they were a part of in Antioch said, why don't you guys go to Jerusalem and meet with the other apostles and the other elders and the church there and let's try to settle this. So the goal was for the sake of unity. See, it's really important that we don't add things into the salvation equation that are not in the Bible. Now, we're not Jewish. None of us are Jewish. So this, this probably seems a bit abstract to us. So here would be a practical example. So when I was in seventh grade, um, I was a part of Dallastown United Methodist Church in York, Pennsylvania. I took a six to eight week confirmation class about the Bible, which culminated in uh, becoming an official member of the Dallastown United Methodist Church. I had a certificate. I had pictures. I wore a tie. And I was an object of God's wrath. I did not know Jesus Christ at all. All I did was take a class. Now, I think there were people in that class that actually turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus. I was not one of them. And so, trusting in my confirmation and I even had a confirmation Bible, didn't make me a Christian. Turning from my sins and trusting in Jesus when I was 19 is how I became a Christian. And so we don't want to trust in things that are not required in the Bible. I'm not anti-confirmation class. I'm just saying I was dead in my sins while I took it. Look at verse 3. What I love about Paul and Barnabas is even while they're heading to the next place, they always make use of their time. And so they're going to Jerusalem. They might have been running an agenda through their head. They could have just said, we're just going to do a beeline there like I can do sometimes when I really want to uh, get somewhere. But they took advantage to talk about the Lord as they traveled and to visit other Christians as they traveled. Look at verse So the church sends them out. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So they were telling people everywhere the stories of salvation that they saw with their own eyes. What's interesting, we're going to see this throughout Acts 15, is they start with experience rather than the Old Testament. They'll quote the Old Testament But they they talk about experience quite a bit. And they tell story after story of men and women, some very bad men and women who did very bad things as pagan, Gentile, idol worshipers that were forgiven and set free. And so they're telling these stories over and over and over again. See, Paul and Barnabas weren't going to Jerusalem to get their minds straightened out on the gospel and who it's for. They were going to hopefully strengthen the whole movement of Christianity. Look at verse 4. So they get there. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. They declared it. They proclaimed it. They were excited about it. They didn't just say, yeah, you know, saw a few hundred here, a few thousand here that were set free, that were forgiven forever, that will be in heaven forever. No, they were excited. Lives were being changed and transformed through the preaching of Jesus Christ. And they wanted the whole world to know it. They wanted the apostles to know it. And it brought great joy to everyone. Verse 5. 
Well, not everyone. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order for them to keep the law of Moses. So not everyone celebrated. But it says these Jewish men were believers. They actually believed in Jesus. They were just confused about how Judaism entered in. They, they went back to that same equation that Paul and Barnabas encountered elsewhere. Faith in Jesus plus, we could say, becoming Jewish equals salvation. And they're going to gather and they're going to debate and they're going to duke it out biblically and land. And they're going to come up with the answer to the question, what's the bottom line? Now keep in mind, the reason they're getting there to this moment of clarity that's about to happen is because of conflict. Without the conflict, there wouldn't have been as much clarity on the issue. So we don't have to fear conflict. I say that, there's times I I totally fear conflict. But biblically, we don't have to fear it. Now, conflict may do stuff in your stomach and your chest and get you all anxious. But if you know anything about the Bible or anything about church history, in the most intense moments of conflict is where this incredible clarity comes out. The Protestant Reformation was a massive conflict. Massive conflict. People were being killed for translating the Bible and holding on to justification by faith alone. Martin Luther was hiding in a castle in Germany, translating the Bible in German, just so the regular people could have the Bible. All that came out of life and death conflict. And we have our Bible because of that massive conflict that went on for, really spanned a... 100 to 200 year period of time. We don't have to be afraid of conflict. You don't have to be afraid of new books that come out or new authors that come out or old authors that change their positions. We don't have to fear those things. You don't have to be afraid of things that catch fire on social media that are contrary to biblical Christianity. It's Jesus' church, He will build His church. He, he wins. Jason said that he, he wins. We win if we're with him. You do not have to be afraid of it at all. Every generation has new controversies, new conflicts over biblical Christianity. It will continue for years and years to come until Jesus returns. We don't have to fear it. We want to walk humbly. We shouldn't be proud. We want to really be taught by the Lord through His Word. We want to be convinced with our own eyes in Scripture. Which is why the Reformers were so important. Their whole, one of their main things was sola scriptura, Scripture alone. They wanted this book in the hands of every single human being. Because they knew the answers to eternal life were in this book. So we have this treasure that we can read with our own eyes and understand with our own minds. And the Holy Spirit will bring illumination to it. That's a real gift. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is this. Salvation in Jesus is a free gift offered to everyone without distinction. Another way to say it is there is no one 
who is beyond Jesus' saving reach. There is no one. There is no human being that is disqualified from the offer of salvation if they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. No one. Look at verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate. So those who have more of a turtle personality that you just go into your shell. Debate is not a bad thing. There was much debate. It can be healthy. We want to do it in love. We want to be good listeners. But we want to wrestle through things. So after it had gone on for quite some time, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So Peter stands up. Now we know from the book of Galatians, even Peter would get confused on this particular subject and Paul had to correct him. But by this point, he is settled. In verse 8 he says, And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. He made no distinction between the Jewish people that were coming to faith and the Gentile people that were coming to faith. He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Another way, maybe for our present day application is, God makes no distinction between those of us who were morally raised in some kind of church setting, and those who were so far off from churches and Christianity. If the ones who were far off turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus, and that was sincere and really happened, then they are saved. If the ones that were raised in good moral settings who never really did major outward things wrong, turned from that good stuff too and trusted in Jesus, they too are saved. God makes no distinction. We're accepted because of what Jesus has done. Peter says, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So he's talking to Jewish people. We, we couldn't do all this. We couldn't keep all these laws. Why are we strapping other people down with those same things? But we believe, verse 11, that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. That's how He's saying he, being Jewish, was saved. Paul, being Jewish, was saved. It's going to be the exact same thing for someone who was way far off, caught up in all kinds of sin and darkness and deception. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 6. All the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, whoever, no matter who you are, if you come to Jesus, He won't send you away. That's a beautiful thing. That is wonderful news. That is incredible news. That needs to be shared. That needs to be proclaimed. 
no matter who you are. So we, if you're a Christian, you want to just rest in that. You want to enjoy that. No matter how long ago that first moment you turned from your sins and trust in Jesus was, the terms were always the same. He's not going to drive you away. He brought you in. He's going to keep you. He loves you. He delights over you. He rejoices in you. That's beautiful. And we share that with anyone and everyone who will listen. Paul said this in Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. You didn't save yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What's unique about Christianity, many things are unique, but one of the most unique things is there's no room for boasting. If you have been saved by Jesus, then he saved you. He rescued you. You didn't rescue yourself. When we have a number of lifeguards in the church, and those lifeguards who have had to save people, let's say, you know, somebody's just like floating in the water. They're, they're out. They passed out. Something happened. And they, you know, lifeguard jumps in, flips them around like they're supposed to, pulls them out of the water, does their thing, puts them on the board. Well, it would be really weird if like an hour or two later, or a couple of days or weeks went by, and that person who was rescued was just like, yeah. Yeah, lifeguard helped a little bit, but I really saved myself. I I did it. It looked like I was passed out, but I was kind of winking out of the side of my eye just to get their attention. I was part of my rescue. No, you weren't. You were not part of your rescue. Jesus rescued you. Enjoy it. Praise him for him. Give him your whole life because he rescued you. So when we share that with other people, We know that he's the one who does it. I mean, Kay even said this morning in the baby dedication, every parent up here is praying for the salvation of their children if they haven't yet trusted in Jesus. But every parent up here knows that that's a miracle, a work of grace that God has to do. And so we petition the Lord to save, and he loves to save. The book of Acts is just this growing group of people from all over the known world That God is rescuing. And that has not stopped. That is happening all over our county, our region, our country, the globe. The Lord is on the move. He's at work. Now this doesn't mean that we have a license to sin. If Jesus saves us, we can just do whatever we want. Not at all. And we're going to see next that even for the Gentiles that were rescued out of sin, the apostles and the elders, when they come to agreement on this issue, they're going to give them some things to do that aren't required for salvation, but are loving considerations for their Jewish brothers and sisters. So look at verse or point number three. What's the bottom line? I have a really wordy third point that's not catchy at all. So just try to pay attention to it. We must not weigh down others. We must not weigh down others, put a yoke upon them, a weight, an unbearable weight on them as new Christians with unending extra biblical requirements. We we can't strap people down when we're sharing the gospel with things that are not in the Bible or, or worthy of 
putting on them. It's unbearable. And at the same time, we must lovingly consider others. So we must not weigh them down when we're telling people about Jesus with things that are extra. But for those who are coming to faith, we want them, even as right out of the gate as brand new Christians, new disciples of Jesus, hey, there's some things you might want to consider that's very loving towards others. So look at verse 19. Told you that wasn't a catchy point, but you can ask me for it if you want. So verse 19, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So, so this is the heart behind it. Here, here's my judgment, he's saying. Let's, not, let's, let's rejoice that Gentiles are turning. Now they were in, some of the Gentiles were prostitutes. They were in great immorality. They were doing all kinds of disturbing things according to the Lord. And so they were rejoicing that Gentiles were turning to God. But he gives a few things. He's going to give a list. What's really weird about this list, it's not the list that you're probably thinking it should be. It wouldn't be my list if I was thinking, here's what I, if I was guessing what they're going to say next, here's what I would come up with. It's not that list, and I'll explain why. But we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, we would think that one would probably be on the list. This next one you probably not think would be on the list. From what has been strangled, you probably didn't put that on your list as you're sharing the gospel with someone for the first time they turn and, hey, let's just stay away from things that have been strangled, and from blood. Well, that, that's a strange list. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read in every Sabbath. I think John Stott sums up this list really nicely with this quote. He explains it. He says, Having established the principle that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, without works, it was necessary to appeal to the Gentile believers to respect the consciences of their Jewish fellow believers by abstaining from a few practices that might offend them. So the purpose of many of these requirements was love, was unity between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. This isn't a four-step process to get saved. Stay away from things that are strangled to be saved. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, in love, lay down some of these things. See, to my knowledge, none of us were raised Jewish, so we don't know what it's like to have an entire upbringing where we are taught to stay away from things and if we come in contact with them, we are unclean immediately. So Jews were taught that about a whole bunch of animals, seafood, bacon. Uh, they were also taught that about Gentile people coming into their home. And so they're working through this, but they're saying in love, Gentiles, you just got to understand you guys are coming from two different universes here. So it would be loving to just drop a few things. Stay away from the things that are strangled, from blood. Let's just stay away from some of those weirder things. And it would be a great expression of love. 
This is an issue in different early um, churches in the Bible. Uh, You'll see this in 1 Corinthians 8. The Apostle Paul says this. I have verse 4 and then verse 13. uh, All talking about food sacrifice titles. So he's talking about the, the Gentile Jewish thing. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. But there is but that there is no God but one. So Paul's saying, we, we know that this idol is not real. We can eat it. Just because the steak was supposedly sacrificed to an idol, and it looks good, and it smells good, and it looks tasty, we can actually eat that with a clear conscience. It's not real. We're, we're good to go. But he says, we got to consider those with a weaker conscience. It would be loving. And that's where he says in verse 13, Therefore... If food makes my brother stumble, I will not eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. In other words, the Apostle Paul, he could eat steak all day. He could eat bacon all day. He could eat sushi all day. He didn't have an issue. He knew God declared it clean. But if he was around somebody that that was an issue for, he'd lay down his right. He'd lay it down. So, for us as Christians... We have a church where people are saved from all kinds of backgrounds. There are some things that may stumble others that do not stumble you. Um, I grew up, after the Methodist confirmation class, I grew up doing wild things as a teenager. And so when I first came to Christ, certain songs and music triggered all kinds of sinful memories. Where, if you just knew the song, it, it had no association for you whatsoever. I have a friend to this day, one of my best friends who lives in Shippensburg. I, had, I was playing a song for him. He said, I really like this song. He's like, can you turn that song off? It just triggers all kinds of thoughts for me. He didn't have a problem with me listening to the song, but I laid down my right out of love for my brother, for my friend. We need to do the same things. Be willing to lay down your right. Do not flaunt your freedoms but consider others. So here's what these men do. They, and, and the church, they, they come up with a letter, and the letter's going to begin to circulate. And the letter is solving this issue between Jews and Gentiles. So look at verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. So somehow, after much debate, they all landed in agreement. Beautiful thing took work. It took humility. It took listening. It took time. It took patience. And they decided to choose men from among them and they, to send um, to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So to help the church in Antioch, they, they chose some of their local leaders to go with them so that it would help. And among them was Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. And they had a letter that they had all agreed upon and it was going to circulate. And here's what the letter says, starting verse 23. This was the official letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your mind, so there's internal disruption, although we gave them no instruction, so it didn't come from us, It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them 
to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, the same things that are in this letter. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on no greater burden than these requirements. And here's that list again, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So they come back to Antioch with Judas and Silas and Paul and Barnabas. They have the letter. They read it to the church. And the, the issue really is settled in many ways. And it had an effect of strengthening the church, which is the final point. Conflict must never derail the mission. Rather, may it be used to propel it forward. Conflict must never derail the mission. Rather, may it be used to propel the mission of Jesus forward. So they read in this letter to the Christians at Antioch. Some of them were really stirred up inside, mind and soul, bothered by this whole issue. So verse 30 says, So they were sent off. They went down to Antioch, having gathered the congregation together. They delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. It brought joy to them. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Judas and Silas had the gift of prophecy. And so they were sharing words from the Lord with the people, and they were strengthening the church. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had been sent with them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So they took this time, period of time to travel, to duke it out, to prayerfully consider the subject. They settle the issue, they bring it back to the church in Antioch, and then they continue to encourage and proclaim the good news, and we're going to see next week, then they get sent out again. And the gospel begins to spread over and over and over again. And they are regularly meeting to encourage one another. So I want to get really kind of practical for us here at Saving Grace Church. Sunday mornings, just going to talk through some of our meetings and why we have them. At Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m., we have a Bible study. The purpose of that Bible study is to strengthen our understanding of God's Word. We have a prayer meeting at 8.30 at the same time. The purpose of that is to call out to the Lord that He would send His Holy Spirit in and among us as we gather. Then we gather here, like we're doing at 10 a.m. And we do that for numerous reasons. To, To love God, to worship Him to love one another, to hear from His Word, to be stirred up, to be equipped, and hopefully prepared for another week of what you will encounter. We have small groups so that those of you who are able to attend can really get to know people in the church and pray for one another and encourage one another and build one another up. Mary and I are part of a small group, a fellowship group in the church. Our leaders, Chris and Randy, they they take notes of every prayer request from every week. So every time we gather, there'll be a recap. What'd the Lord do? How's it going? Do you still need prayer in that area? And then we we go on. We talk about the message. We pray for one another. But we're just strengthening the relationships. We have these meetings 
a, a few times a year, about four times a year, called Potluck and Prayer, where we eat a meal together in the church, and we pray for the church. That's to strengthen us and petition the Lord. We have a prayer team after church that if you have things that are unsettling in your life or things you're just not sure about in the future, every Sunday we have a prayer team up here that would love to pray for you. The stronger we are as individual members of a church, the stronger we are as a corporate group, the greater impact we will make in our area. So it's really no different than what they were experiencing. This yesterday morning, Elaine Eshwin started a, I believe a six to eight week Bible study on the book of Ephesians. That's every Saturday morning for the next number of weeks here at the church building at 9 a.m. The whole purpose there is, one again, open God's word, strengthen you, equip you. If you go to these things, see them as a couple different reasons why you're going. You're not just going to receive. You will receive if you go. But you have gifts. You have experience. You have a perspective on life and the Lord that needs to be shared with others. So when you go, you're going to serve as well. You're going to receive, but you're going to be a blessing. Even something as simple as coffee, before and after the church, we do that so you spend time with each other. So that you stay around, so you come early, so you interact. So we don't view church at all as just this two-hour period of time, hour-and-a-half period of time once a week. No, we want to be a church family that's growing in relationship, that loves God, loves others. So we do those two things, we're going to have a much greater impact on reaching the world. So if you haven't gone to a lot of those things, I would encourage you to just pick one and be bold Take a friend and, and go. I think you'll be surprised and encouraged. So what's the bottom line? We have good news to share with any and all who call on Jesus. So let's stand and sing and have the band come up. Father, thank you for your plan of salvation. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world to live and die and rise from the grave. Thank you that your mission of building your family has never stopped and will not stop until Jesus, you return. Until that day, may we grow in our relationship with you, with one another, and engaging those around us who do not know you. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help and your power, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.